0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Consumer, the European podcast of the Consumer Choice Center. There is only one. And I am the host of the podcast, Bill Wirtz. Senior Policy Analyst here at The Consumer Choice Center, your weekly host here on Consumer spelled with E U. Thank you for listening and for rating and for donating if you wish to do so on consumerchoicecenter.org/donate. Uh, and uh yeah, this is episode 144. On February 15, 2024, my guest this week is Benjamin Ayenian. He is a contributor at Young Voices, and he is telling us about a piece he wrote for Free the People about a push by Republican lawmakers to get information from private airlines about migrant travelers. Could this impact the privacy of all travelers to the United States? You'll hear the entire exchange at the end of this episode. Also in this episode, Poland's farmers continue their protests targeting grain imports from Ukraine and new interpretations on the free trade agreement with Canada. What does it actually mean to have free and fair trade and uh, what can companies actually do to sue governments based on environmental policy? That has been the issue, sort of the starting issue with CETA from the beginning. So we'll talk about all of that. First up, we have Poland's farmers continuing their protests across the country and also blocking some borders with uh, Ukraine. And they're upset about quite a few things. So let's uh, listen in here to Euronews. Poland's farmers are on day three of a 30-day strike, holding a series of protests against EU climate policies and agricultural imports from Ukraine. They are blocking roads across the country until March 10th. On Sunday, Prime Minister Donald Tusk attended a meeting saying that the war in Ukraine cannot be an excuse for unfair competition. Farmers want Tusk's government to come up with new agricultural policies which will ensure the sector's profitability. Also very interesting is that the Polish farmers are supporting E.U. Commissioner Janusz Wojciechowski uh, to stay in his current role. Janusz Wojciechowski was appointed by the previous Polish government, PIS. And is considered to be sort of an unsavoury character by many in Brussels because he has, from the beginning, uh, started to express concerns about the farm to fork strategy and what it means for Central and Eastern Europe. And so, interestingly, um, he, he's been thinking about stepping down. A lot of commissioners are doing that because they know they won't be appointed again. This is sort of like the, the procedure because if you know you won't be appointed again and you have a job offer online, uh, you might. Uh, you might. Um, you know, decide to 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 switch over, get an international job or try and find a job again in the original uh, uh, country of origin. Uh, I guess for Mr. Wojciechowski, that will probably be the case because, well, his English hasn't been on a particularly impressive level, which is uh, unfortunately a bit of a theme with Polish politicians. I remember when Donald Tusk became the Permanent president of the European Council, he had to take crash courses in English, um, which, which you know, is a bit sad because he'd also been prime minister for a while. He's now prime minister again. I guess his English classes are going to come in handy for him. But in any case, uh, yeah, Polish farmers are supporting Mr. Wojciechowski, even though he probably didn't do as much as they would have wanted to. Um, and, and they're criticizing the, um, the, the, the government's position, the new government's position on, on Ukraine imports. Donald Tusk has now uh, suggested that there might be new restrictions. And ultimately, uh, this is a bit complicated, because Poland, at the same time of being a big supporter of Ukraine on the military end, is definitely not a supporter on the economic end and is uh, regretting that uh, Ukrainian wheat is just too cheap. Uh, and of course, I mean the reason it is it, it is cheaper is I mean is, is, is one one is the economic uh, output and sort of like how much do people request to get paid in Ukraine, but then also the fact that Ukraine is just like has more fertile so- soil and, and and as a result of that just produces a lot more and can can export uh, more cheaply has an industry geared towards uh, exports, uh, and then of course doesn't have the exact same environmental regulations and of course the farmers' conclusions on. Uh, Trade with Ukraine being that, oh, we should stop the products as opposed to uh, attacking the environmental regulations. I mean, they're sort of doing both, but they say we can't do one before the other. I would say we need a moratorium on a lot of these environmental rules so that farmers can actually compete um, uh, justifiably. regularly compete with products coming from outside of the european union um and and you know and there's the same conversation that is that is going on in other countries Uh, let's let's listen into the uh, bbc reporting on protests in other countries in the eu
1: the farmers venting their anger over soaring fuel and fertilizer costs low prices for their produce and increasingly restrictive EU regulations. Well, Italy's government has promised tax breaks to ease the hardship for its farmers after hundreds began gathering with their tractors this week on motorways outside of Rome and Turin. And in Cyprus, farmers blocked the entrance to the European Union's offices in the capital Nicosia on Thursday there have also been demonstrations in Bulgaria and more tractor protests across Spain for the third day in a row with farmers disrupting traffic in Barcelona and in other cities all over the country. And there have been renewed talks on an EU trade deal with South America. They've raised anxieties even further.
0: So yeah, it's exactly the same thing with the Mercosur trade agreement. The argument being that look, farmers in Brazil and Argentina just don't have the same regulatory burden. I talked about this when I was on the Morning Wire. Uh, was it about about two weeks ago? And you know, like it's just it's just. You know, I can understand from the farmer perspective, it's not fair that they, you know, they say it's not fair, we will have new trade agreements, but you don't put the same environmental burdens. But I also really don't like the idea that, you know, some people in Brussels now have is like, we're only going to make a free trade agreement if we, um, if we align completely on policy, because that's such a Eurocentric trade view that I think is not going to help us. And, you know, in a way that that sort of leads us to the next story. So let's just, let's just go on to the next story, actually. (music) So in this story, we have a Eurective reporting, and they headline, EU announces new interpretation of Canada f- trade deal in bid to ensure ratification. And uh, Eurective is quite extensively writing about this, and it's very interesting as, as a piece. I'm going to read a bit more from it. EU countries have previously expressed concern that the agreement, which provisionally entered into force in 2017, could effectively allow investors to sue member states if they impose more stringent environmental laws. So CETA is uh, is the uh, comprehensive economic and trade agreement between the European Union and and Canada, and ten EU countries have still not ratified the tariff and custom duty busting deal, which the Commission has described as quote the most modern and advanced trade agreement ever made end of quote, and so uh, this is uh, this is pretty uh, pretty interesting uh, because your also lays out sort of the the economic advantages that have have come through since the CETA agreement was signed. They say the deal has already seen duties eliminated on 98% of all tariff lines, leading to a 66% surge in the bilateral trade in goods since 2016. In total, European exports to Canada currently support 700,000 EU jobs, 70,000 more than before CETA provisionally entered into force they also say EU trade with Canada has gained added significance in recent years as the EU's economic decoupling from Russia and de-risking from China have led it to seek alternative sources of energy and critical materials. EU energy imports from Canada have surged 70% relative to 2016, while imports of minerals, base metals and fertilizers have risen by 131%, 143% and 225% respectively. And the the, the, the the commission in charge of this file, uh, Valdis Dombrovskis, says, uh, quote, CETA provided the EU with a solid, trusted source of supply for key resources such as energy and raw materials at a critical moment at the wake of Russia's war against Ukraine. End of quote. And so this this whole debate over CETA has been going on for a while by usually the same people who just don't like a trade and they also try to sort of capture the, the farmer protests and say that the farmer protests are against free trade. But that's, again, not necessarily my reading. My reading is that the farmers are complaining that many countries in the Mercosur block in South America and also Canadian farmers just don't face the same regulatory burdens that EU farmers face. And that's why it's unfair. And in a way, you can understand that ultimately, um, ultimately, the conclusion needs to be that if we were to have regulatory alignment, we should have regulatory alignment with the country that has fewer regulations. I mean, if you just look at the the amounts of regulations that are on farmers I mean the whole set aside uh, directive that tells farmers oh you know on this percent of your land you're not allowed to farm because we don't want an overpro- a potential overproduction that is reminiscent of the quota days when we have when we had milk quotas in the EU and that was just a disaster and it was good that we scrapped that. So I think we just you know we sort of burdened by the regulation and the thought that the regulation will always solve it and every directive that comes out of the European Parliament is always predicated on this idea that if only we had a few more rules it would become more bearable and we would have more environmental efficiency and as I've written before I mean North American farming is just not just more efficient it's also more environmentally friendly and also consumers pay less Um, something i will want to address in the future is like to what extent will the sector have to consolidate europe has a significantly larger amount of uh, small family farms what is you know is is that going to be a model for the future or do we need to think to at least reduce some of that and, and grow larger as farm business but ultimately for consumers the importance is that our products are safe and available and affordable and and i think that should be really the focus that we are um that that, that we're homing in on and i think that is currently not being done now let's move to the interview of the week we are talking to benjamin ayenian he's a contributor at young voices so let's listen in so Benjamin, you had a piece in Free the People where you say conservatives should think twice before roping airlines into immigration policy. And as the European listeners might have heard from the extended coverage, immigration has definitely been... A- top-of-the-line issue in the United States as Congress is debating uh, how immigration should be handled at the border, but differently than walking over a land border is flying into the country. And some uh, members of Congress have been interested in uh, what role airlines ought to play uh, in, 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 in that whole procedure. So what was, the, what was the baseline argument that you made in your piece? What is the situation that you describe it?
1: You know, the situation with uh, migrants flying on airlines right now really centers around actually migrants who were um, you know, detained somewhere in the United States and then put on planes and flown somewhere um, in the country. It, it, the, this story specifically really started when a conservative commentator was in an airport and videotaped migrants um, at a gate getting ready to board a Delta Airlines flight. And she said that the migrants had recently been released um, from a detention center. Uh, and she uh, you know, said that she looked at some documents to, uh, to ascertain that information. And now um, on the news following that, Delta became the center of attention. It became the center of attention in the eyes of pundits um, and also in the eyes of some politicians. So there was a, a congressman in the United States who sent a letter to Delta requesting uh, various information on their activities and the activities of flying migrants. Uh, Specifically, he wanted to know if, um, you know, the federal government was paying Delta to fly migrants across the country, wanted to know if non-governmental organizations were using um, government money to then uh, buy these tickets. And he also was curious about what the the TSA guidelines, TSA standing for Transportation Security Administration, wanted to know what the guidelines were um, for like identification for such travelers, for example. And so my argument in the piece that I wrote was that conservatives um, and, and anyone, I mean, conservatives, liberals, it doesn't matter who, really should not be focusing on these private companies when it comes to these matters. At the end of the day, if Delta is receiving money for these seats— and there, there is some sort of proper identification that allows them to get on the flight, then you know, Delta's role in this should stop there. Um, they should not be burdened with data requests. They should not be burdened. Um, another request that the congressman um, put forth was, you know, how many migrants have you guys flown, you know, in XYZ time period? And the problem with that is it puts consumer... Uh, privacy at risk, you know, requesting um, data from these private companies on their flyers. It also burdens these companies unnecessarily. I mean, it costs money to to do all of this compliance. It costs, you know, manpower, uh, focus that could otherwise be directed in more productive manners. And so, in my case, um, in in my article, the case I try to put forth was that the government should be asking questions of the government agencies that they want to know the activities of. They shouldn't be, um, basically harassing, um, private enterprises into giving them that information. They can call the heads of whatever agency they want to to testify before Congress if they have concerns. Uh, I, I don't believe that um, roping these private uh, airlines into this issue is, is the right approach.
0: Yeah, something that we discussed on the podcast, uh, as it relates to sort of what information airlines ought to disclose was was during COVID in Europe as people were traveling to different countries, governments were asking uh, airlines which travelers came from which country and whether they had a quarantine uh, obligation uh, or something like that. And it turned out that the government was only allowed to check passenger information if it was for counterterrorism uh, uh, you know, rules or counterterrorism measures. So for health purposes, they couldn't use that information. Um, is this different in the United States? To what extent would the airlines be required to give the 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 government information on travelers other than those who are suspected of having committed a crime because what you're describing would not just loop in checks and information on people who are migrants and who get transported to a different place but also in order for you to know you'd have to check everyone and you might give information to the government of people who are not of that status, so so so, what are airlines actually obligated to do? Is this just a request by some members of Congress, or is there an extra law that would require them to give that information out?
1: Yeah. So in this specific case, um, it's just a request. It's a letter by a um, a member of Congress. Now they could um, you know subpoena a um, you know a Delta Airlines executive and interrogate them about this issue. You know, you see um, in the United States all the time. We you know call on people to testify in congress you know the the TikTok ceo we've called on mark zuckerberg who is the meta you know instagram and facebook um, ceo we have called on uh, the ceo of starbucks you know when talking about a uh, unionization they've been You know, called on to come testify in Congress. So Congress has ways to, uh, you know, bring people uh, in front of them to testify on specific issues of interest to them. But in terms of sending a letter requesting specific uh, information, you know, Delta can, you know, kind of brush that off and 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 say, you know, uh, I'm I'm not going to give you this information. Now, if they do that, there's another thing to keep in mind is that the government has ways of harassing people who do not comply with uh, their desires. And so there are uh, then retaliatory uh, actions that the government theoretically could take to just you know make Delta's life harder, to annoy them a little bit, you know, to make them even more the center of attention in the news, you know, force someone to come testify, um, you know, to threaten various regulations be added onto you know the, uh, uh, the the airline industry. You know, there's plenty of ways the government can can poke. Uh, the bear in order to try and elicit compliance. And so um, it's definitely true that Delta could just brush off this request, not give them this information. But oftentimes when the federal government is sending you these letters, the federal government is pushing you to um, answer certain questions. A lot of times companies are going to comply because from, from just uh, from a cost standpoint, it might be less costly to comply now um, than to, uh, Than to decline and risk, you know, retaliatory um, actions in the future. So that is one, you know, kind of um, let's say power dynamic in the background whenever the government is trying to interact with these private organizations. And so, you know, another question I think that should be asked um, in in this specific case is, and and it could be, um, you know. it could be extrapolated to, you know, other cases and hypotheticals we could come up with in our head is that, you know, do we really want uh, airlines per se to deny the travel of certain individuals merely because people in the federal government oppose that travel for political reasons? You know, like, for example, if, um, you know, for example, if I, you know, in a Canadian trucker, right? Who, you know, is protesting some of the laws in, um, you know, or rules in Canada around COVID. And imagine that was then in the United States. And the federal government had something against that protest, right? Would we want airlines to be in a place where, you know, there's this clear precedent of, okay, if I fly these people, who the federal people in the federal government might oppose for political reasons. Am I then going to face, you know, costs as a result of providing that travel? And then as a result, these airlines might, you know, become a little bit more discriminatory in, in how they let individuals fly across the country. Now, there's also rules against that, but there, you know, there's ways to get around it. And, you know, we never know how, uh, how the rules and regulations or even the implicit threats in the background can shape policy from a, from um, even private enterprises over time. And I just think that that's a slippery slope that we don't want to force airlines into for a couple of reasons. One, it's not fair to impose costs on these businesses unnecessarily. But more importantly, this is a consumer focused podcast after all. Um, it's bad for consumers. It's bad for their freedom. It's bad for their privacy. I and mean, I really think that that is a concern. I wish conservatives took a little bit more seriously before they tried to make Delta or any other airline or any other private enterprise the center of attention here, when instead they could be interrogating the heads of the various agencies or um, different sub-agencies and bureaucracies in the United States about the issues and the answers that they want to know.
0: Now, if I was the airline in question, I would probably think twice in the future on whether I would take up certain to transport certain people, even if it was a request of the government for people to to get from A to B? And could that also not be the ultimate goal here of the Republicans to make this process even harder as airlines would reconsider maybe, uh, uh, you know, uh, transporting certain people because it could you know, eventually make them uh, liable, or at least be the focus of, of congressional testimony or any of those things? Is there is there maybe a, a, a greater uh, ambition here by Republicans to sort of hamper this process to, you know, to, 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 to make the migration debate even more heated?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's possible that, you know, um, whether it's an intended consequence or an unintended consequence, I, I think we do have to recognize the fact that, you know, this the the you know data requests um, being the center of attention politically it adds costs and risks to private enterprises you know people who uh, are very opinionated on the um, immigration issue let's say might not fly Delta as a result of hearing this news um, even if they don't know what activities other airlines are taking as a protest they might not fly Delta or you know actually complying with certain uh, data requests and and putting manpower towards it you know uh, that that's gonna create costs for enterprises and and yes, it could um, as an unintended consequence change their behavior towards flyers um in some sense you know we have rules against discrimination in the United States, but I, again there are implicit ways to change um, policies within you know private organizations to to kind of dictate, you know, who your customer base could be. Now, it is hard when it's the federal government um, to say no, it is possible that the federal government is using its what are called contracted seats to fly migrants on these planes. And so therefore, the airlines might not actually have a choice um, with the migrants specifically. But it, it is true that in the future, when it comes to um, politically political groups I, w- I don't want to say political groups when it comes to groups who are politically controversial, let's say um, if there is a clear history and means of for the federal government to harass, um, transportation companies as a result of them transporting politically controversial groups or individuals, then in the future, for other groups where maybe airlines have a choice or a way to work around who they transport, then they might um, as a result discriminate in certain um, tacit ways, let's say it probably wouldn't be explicit, uh, but it could make it harder for certain individuals to use their um, you, use their services to 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 move around. And so uh, conservatives definitely need to think about the unintended consequences of their actions instead of where I view this more is trying to score political points by making a theater out of Delta. Um, you know, if you want to have your political theater um, and if you even really genuinely want to uh, get answers to these questions, which we even citizens have an interest in answers in these questions. Um Go to the government agencies that you are concerned are you know, facilitating all of this instead of burdening a private enterprise that's just doing its job.
0: And uh, one last question: What is interesting? What what is interesting to me in in the European comparison is that uh, Europe deals with a lot of these uh, issues as well. Whether it's individuals who are not allowed to stay and they get deported to their country in which the first they first uh, exited from, or whether it's relocation within the continent, which is more complicated because you're dealing with individual countries. But very often governments either charter a plane from a private business or they have their own aircraft that they. They use for those for those relocations and that doesn't seem to be the case within the united states i i, I mean especially because the united states has much longer distances to travel you think that the government would be in some capacity equipped to to you know to organize the logistics of that but it seems to rather go for uh, you know contracting seats with private businesses which has now led to to this problem uh the, is it just that the government has no resources to do that because it would be politically complicated to increase a budget to charter entire planes or or buy their own aircraft or or what is the what is the issue here? Why has this not been organized a bit more thoroughly?
1: Well, you know, the United States government is historically unorganized in a lot of different ways. Um, I wouldn't say that resources are ever an issue because even if we don't have the money, we find a way to spend it. Um, so i'm I'm sure that um if it was just a cost issue if if there was a way to direct resources to it and they found it politically beneficial and they found it to be more expedient then they would probably be doing it um to an extent and the, i think uh it's possible that there's a political angle here it's a it's a really good question um the states themselves uh so for example um Greg Abbott in Texas, you know, he has chartered planes to fly migrants out of Texas. Now, whether or not those are commercial planes, or if uh, those are government planes, I'm actually not, I'm 100% sure, um, I would have to revisit that issue. But the state has, whether it's state governments or the federal government, they definitely have ways to transport um, individuals. I mean, they, they would be able to do it. I, I find it I would find it incredibly hard to believe that they could not find ways to at least uh, use a plane for a specific instance to fly a plane load of migrants to a specific state. Um, But I'm not 100 percent sure that the federal government has a has an interest, a political interest in doing that, per se, because it seems more that it's the Republicans in various states who are wanting to make a show of flying migrants to. Um, Democrat cities, you know, to 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 try to force Democrats to look at the immigration issue more seriously. Because if uh, if I'm you know a, a the governor of New York, or I'm a um, I'm in the House of Representatives or the Senate in New York, and all of a sudden a bunch of migrants are showing up in my state, and we don't have the resources that we need, that we feel we need to um, take in these migrants, um, that um, state and federal um, funding is being used um, for these migrants instead of for the people it was originally intended to, that could cause political problems. And so it's more in the interest of uh, Republicans who don't control the you know, the presidency um, right now or, or Congress. Um, it's more in the interest of Republicans, actually, to fly these migrants out of um, red states, Republican states, and move them to blue states, Democrat states, in a political attempt, in a political move, um, which is an attempt to get Democrats uh, to take the issue more seriously. And so I find it hard to believe yeah, that the federal government doesn't have the capacity to just do this themselves. Um, so it is something uh, worth considering. Uh, but at the same time, I think it's more, oddly enough, more politically advantageous uh, for Republicans to be flying migrants uh, to specific cities than Uh, it would be for the Biden administration to somehow find a way to do it.
0: Well, thank you so much for telling us about this issue and for joining the Consumer Podcast.
1: Thanks for having me on. It was great talking to you.
0: And that concludes this week's episode of Consumer. Thank you so much for listening. You can follow Benjamin Ianian on at Benjamin Ianian on X. And of course, follow the Consumer Choice Center as well at Consumer Choice C. As always, I'm your host, Bill Wurtz, and I'll see you Thursday.